are listening to the Small Biz Chat Podcast, episode 10. Today we're talking to e-commerce expert Jordan Gall about how he turned his online business into a well-oiled conversion machine that sold in just 13 months. So let's get started. I'm Arielle Hurst. Welcome to the Small Biz Chat Podcast. If this is your first time listening, thanks for stopping by. The Small Biz Chat Podcast is sponsored by PureChat, the live chat software for small business and produced for business owners who want to hear some real concrete ways to improve their businesses in less than an hour. Once again, the Small Biz Chat is with e-commerce expert Jordan Gall. Now, today, Jordan owns Carthook, a successful software company that helps e-commerce entrepreneurs reduce shopping cart abandonments. But before that, he was creating a streamlined conversion pipeline in his own e-commerce business. After discovering the levers that could bring in and convert the most leads, Jordan was able to rapidly grow his business and sell it in just 13 months. So if you're ready to learn his secrets about how he supercharged his conversion funnel, stay tuned for my conversation with Jordan Gall. So I started out, well, I started out on the the wrong path. (laughs) I, w- I went to Wall Street for an investment banking job and really, really didn't like it. That's to say the least. Uh, I should have known better, but I was just kind of going with the flow, which was my first mistake. So I did that for a year and then ran away screaming. Uh, now, the whole thing is that I come from an immigrant family. My, my father and mother, they brought us over from Israel when I was six years old. And I watched, I watched my father in the classic immigrant entrepreneur hustler role. And I saw him go from, you know, working way too much. He still works too much, but really struggling to to finding his footing, to succeeding. Um, And I saw that in the house. So that was just kind of bred into my DNA. And that's why I should have known better than to go work for a giant bank just because they paid a lot. That, That was my first mistake. So after that, I joined the family business. And that's where my entrepreneurial career kind of started. I was there for a few years and then I went on my own. I, I started a political website that had like an, uh, an advertising-based business model. That didn't go well. Uh, as I came to the realization that that was not going to go anywhere, that's when I got into e-commerce and started selling products, doing drop shipping, and then eventually our own inventory. Grew that company and then sold that company. And then that's when I went. Uh, from there to say, okay, now I want to do software, but I should stick with the e-commerce world that I am familiar with and, and like. And that's how I got to, to Carthook, which is what I'm doing now. I love that. And you've been working with your family, like you said, for a long time. Even the political website you started, I think you started with your younger brother. And then yes. the e-commerce website is something, a project that your older brother has started. Can you tell that's me a little right. bit about how you got more involved with his business in particular and kind of where he was at when you came in? Yes. Yeah, so uh, my younger brother and I were working on the political website. We were working really hard at it, and we had, we had good, we had good metrics, but the wrong metrics. We had increasing visitors and all this other stuff, but revenue wasn't going anywhere. And the real issue is we were dependent on advertising, and we didn't really know what we were doing in the advertising realm. And we were, we were kind of doing the let's build an audience and then we'll figure it out thing. Nothing I recommend to anyone, <laughs> and I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that again. That was a mistake. At some point, we had a meeting with a family friend, an investor, who basically just just took a sledgehammer <laughs> to, to our and just obliterated us, but in the best way possible. He did us a favor. So we came home after that and said, you know what? We, we should move on. 
let's move on. We're, we're, we're too ambitious and too smart to focus on something that's not working. At the same time, my older brother had started an e-commerce business where he was drop shipping. So he had done it for a few months and had become a little disillusioned, didn't have that much energy for it. So my younger brother and I basically came to him and said, look, you're not doing that much with it. Our thing failed. Maybe we should take over the e-commerce business and see what we can do. And that's, that's how we first got into it. It was kind of necessity and you know, it wasn't this big planned out strategy. So that we kind of, that's how we dove into it at first. Gotcha. And when you came in, you became the web optimization guy. And early on, I know you made quite a few changes. I'm wondering, are there a few that you can pick out that you're really like, oh, those made the biggest impact? Yes, 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 definitely. Um, so the way we broke it out was, all right, we've got, we've got three people in the company. Happen to be you know, three brothers. So we said, you are in charge of getting people to the site. SEO, advertising, link building, right? You, and that's me, are in charge of converting those visitors into purchases. And then the other brother, my younger brother, you are in charge of everything that happens after the sale. Getting everything ready, a great customer experience, the delivery, following up with people, getting them to come back, email marketing, all that. So we separate into like three phases of the, of the initial interaction. And so, you know, it's a lot of pressure. It's like, okay, everyone get to work and I am tasked with turning visitors into purchases. So the first thing I did, I just tried to educate myself. What I learned was, I mean, I learned a lot over the span of a few months, but in the beginning, the first thing I learned was, what do I need to do? What do I need to provide someone so that they can make a buying decision? So it started to be things like, first, you need information. You need specifications. And we were selling, uh, uh, our most successful site sold solar lighting products. So we, ne we needed to get information to them. So all this stuff started to become an education. The best thing I did was I invested in a consultation, uh, a $500 one hour consultation. My brothers were like, why are you gonna spend $500 on an hour? Is it, can it possibly be that good? And I was like, I, I wanna do this. So we hired Site Tutors, which is a great uh, company. They like wrote a book that's scientific and mathematical and right over my head. So I got them on a consultation and they just ran through our website and just pointed out what was wrong. Things like you're not building enough trust, you need trust symbols. You need to add reviews to have third party verification that your product and your company is good. You need the navigation set up in such a way that people can find what they're looking for. You need better pictures on your product page. You need to show people options. You need to add payment options, just all this stuff. And that's, that's where I set to work for the next you know, two months, just getting the site ready so that people will trust us and that they have the information to make a buying decision. That totally makes sense. And I think especially for e-commerce businesses, trust is absolutely a core principle and something that makes a huge difference because you're asking people to give you their credit card number on the internet, which is like the wild west, right? So there's a really a lot you have to do to persuade people that you're a trustworthy vendor. Are there anything, any tactics that you used in particular that were really good at doing that? So, so there are a few things. There are, there are things that are on the site things that you're showing people like trust symbols. And then, and then there are things that go beyond that. So the first, the first part's easy. Credit card logos, trust symbols, you know, VeriSign, buy safe, all these different things. Putting your phone number out front, being able to be contacted, having live chat, having an easy email address, all these things are easy. And then the more difficult part is, is like the unique selling proposition. The, 
why should I buy from you over anyone else? And that is an increasingly difficult issue. The fact that Amazon exists in the world puts a lot of pressure on people that they, you need to really have a great reason to buy from you and not other people. So it's, it's a problem that uh, most acutely experienced by people who are selling products that are available elsewhere. And that's, that's, what, that's what we were doing. We were selling dropship products that you can get other places. So we really had to give a lot of reason to buy from us instead of going to a different, a different website. Gotcha, totally. And I mean, I think with how much content is on the internet today, basically everyone is selling a product that has some kind of substitute, even maybe a direct substitute. So what value propositions did you come up with that you felt like made a big difference to your buyers? Yeah, this, this was a really hard thing for us. So one of the biggest things that came out of that one hour consultation with site tuners is, hey, you need a stronger, unique selling proposition. You, this, you need to do this. You need to tell people and state why they should buy from you. So it was a difficult thing for us because we were selling products available at a bunch of other sites. So we had to kind of look internally. It wasn't just about features. It was about the actual company. And we came up with the only thing that sounded right to us. We're a family business. So we, we let that shine and flow through everything. So we created a big banner that was on every page and we had like a three point promise. And the first one was like family business values. And people, I mean, ate it up. They, they freaked out. It was like, and, and the whole thing was you state that, but then you also treat people that way and you answer the phone that way and you answer emails that way. And then all of a sudden this unique selling proposition that you kind of came up with out of a two hour meeting becomes real. And then you start to act on it because you stated it. And it it's this great self-reinforcing thing. Um, so that's, we, that's what we did. We, we said family business values, lowest, uh, low price, uh, what's it called? Uh, when you can compare other prices, low price guarantee, something like that, and free shipping both ways. And, and we did that like five years ago. So it was just when Zappos was coming out and we, and we had products that people were unsure of and they, they had never heard of us before. So we, we thought that was a great trust indicator. And then that bar, uh, in, excuse me, linked to the About Us page also where we kind of expanded on our five-point promise and we put a bunch of reviews on there. Yep, so that's, it was basically like creating a unique song proposition out of nowhere. But if you're going to do that, you kind of have to be honest. So we, we went with... Our, our strongest asset. Definitely. I was going to say, it ended up being really authentic, even if you did kind of have to come up with it. And I know your about page actually has been really important to your buying process, surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you found out that your about page is sort of a core part of the buyer's journey? Yeah, this was, this was one of the more surprising learnings along the way. Uh, so we had uh, live chat software and live chat software like phone number, like an easy contact page, it's a, it's a necessity. Uh, it's, it's great for a few reasons. The first reason is kind of obvious. You can chat with people. They can ask you questions and you can answer them in real time and it's quick and you get them the information they need to make a buying decision. That's, that's great. Uh, the second thing it does is it also uh, builds trust that you're available. Uh, the, the next thing it does is it gives you feedback. When people ask you questions over live chat, you can be sure that there are a lot more people who had the same question but didn't, a didn't ask you. So all of a sudden that feedback, you start to understand, hey, this I need to answer this question. I need to take the, the answer 
and this information and put it on the page and on the site instead of hoping people ask me about it because clearly this is something that people need to know. So it gives you this great feedback that you can then bring back into your copy, into your page, into what you're talking about uh, on the product pages and elsewhere. The third thing is the surprising thing. So our live chat software had this window pane that it showed all the sessions of the people who are currently on the site. So it literally had like the retail like like ring, like ding dong, like someone just walked into your retail store. So you can't help but look, especially when you're running ads for like five bucks a click. Every time that thing goes off, you're like the five bucks, five bucks, five bucks. So you want to see what's going on. So what ended up happening was our live chat software showed where people came in from and what pages they've been to. So obviously it gets exciting when someone puts something in the cart. So you see, okay, someone just put $480 worth of stuff in the cart. It's like, yes, let's, let's do this. And then they go to the checkout page, you get all excited. And then they go to the order finish page, you get the email and you're like, yes, that's, you know, it's a high. So in watching that, we learned something very interesting. We learned that people were going from the product page to the shopping cart page, which is great. All right, they're going to buy something. And then a lot of people kept going to the about us page and we did not understand why are they going from the shopping cart page to the about us page. And the reason we finally figured out was because we did not do a good enough job of building trust. They literally were going, who the hell are these people that I'm about to buy $480 worth of solar lights from? I've never heard of them before. I clicked on a Google ad six minutes ago, and now I'm about to pull out my credit card. Let me figure who these people are first. So we realized our About Us page is a hugely important page. We thought it was like no big deal. So it was pretty skimpy at first. Then we bulked it up, like, like I talked about with the unique selling proposition. We put pictures of ourselves like the three brothers, like holding, you know, with our, our, our arms around each other. So immediately you see these are real people. Then we wrote out our five point pledge. Then we wrote out, we, we didn't write out, we showed a bunch of reviews that were pertaining to the company and the service, not the actual individual products. These guys are amazing. They took care of me. I needed to return it, but they took care of it right away. Jordan, you know, was amazing over to basically just build up this credibility. And then what would happen is we'd see people in the live chat go from the cart to the about us page and then back to the cart and then to the checkout page and to purchase. It was like we were getting over the hurdle. And that's the third benefit that live chat can provide you is it can show you the paths people are taking and most importantly, the paths that lead to abandonment because wherever those abandonment points happen to be, you know that's where you're losing people and that's where you need to optimize. Yeah, definitely. And I, I will also say, for those of you who don't have a live chat product, some of you can go into Google Analytics and go to the behavior tab and also see this. I think it's way more beneficial to see it in real time because you do yep. connect with it. You're invested in the purchase. You're like, yes. no, come back. Why didn't you finish your order? But you can also get some of that information from Google Analytics as well. Yes. And analytics is good, but it's always, it's always looking backwards. Mm -hmm. And you don't pay nearly as much attention to the individual sessions. You get True. the aggregate which is great, but it tells you something very different from these individual sessions. It's almost like they're anecdotal, but if you're watching it every day, you start to get a sense that no analytics program can give you in the, in the aggregate. You get a sense, you care, it's your story, you're seeing what's happening to people and why, and you're trying to engage them, and you get a much better feel for, for your site and how people are interacting with it. 
Definitely. I think when you have that more one-on-one real-time connection, it does make a huge difference. And I know you guys have a phone number on your website, or you had a phone number on your website where people could actually call in and talk to you, which again is another great credibility builder. Is there anything you learned from those conversations as well, talking to individuals? The the phone thing is the is the funniest, weirdest, most surprising thing of the entire of the entire journey. It's it, it's it's borders on the absurd. So I'll, I'll explain. Um, we put the phone number on there because I don't know. That's the right thing to do. You, you're trying to sell things. You know, if you want to call us to put the order in, give us a call. So we put it in the header, which obviously means it's on every page. Uh, so again, like live chat, it has a few benefits. The the first benefit is. 90 plus percent of the people who called resulted in an order because you're talking to someone, you're talking to someone who is an expert in what they're selling. You get your questions answered in real time. You build trust with them and almost always they're calling because they're genuinely interested. And we, every time we heard the phone ring, we knew that's money calling on the phone. That is money on the other end. So it was exciting to take phone calls. So that's a great benefit. The other benefit is similar to live chat where it gives you information on the market that you start off with a guess. We did not expect to sell the types of solar lights that we ended up selling. We thought, hey, solar lights, you know, like the ones on your front lawn, that's what we're gonna sell. Turned out to be completely wrong and the way we learned about it was from the phone. So people kept calling and asking us the same question. They said, will your spotlight reach my flag that's 20 feet up on my flagpole? And we were like, what are you talking about? Maybe, I don't, we, I don't know. Then we, kept, we got that same phone call over and over and over. And eventually we were like, okay, wait a minute. This, there's something here. So we started saying, you know what? Give me your phone number and I'm going to find you the right light. Tell me, tell me what you need. And they'd say, well, my flagpole's 20 feet. And it's, you know, 300 feet in front of my house because I live in the country. And the way... The etiquette for the American flag works is that at nighttime, you don't leave it out in darkness. You either bring it inside or you leave it lit at night. And it's a lot easier to to leave it lit at night than bring it in every single night. So that's that's something I I had no idea. I grew up in like the suburbs of New York City. I mean, there were flags, but you know, there are streetlights everywhere. I just, this never occurred to us. So we, we took the feedback and we started finding manufacturers that sold specific lights that were strong enough for a flag and ones that attached to the flagpole. And we created a solar flag category page and we started running Google ads for light your soul, light your flag with solar lights directly to this category page and our sales blew up. And then we, crazy. And this is a really big country. You wouldn't think you could sell two or $3,000 worth of solar flag lights every day, but you can. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, now that opportunity is, is pretty much gone uh, with, with Amazon and everyone else flooding the market. But back then it was it was untapped. And the only reason we learned about this is from the phone. And we, we got the questions that we thought were weird at first. Then we found the products Then we then the first thing you get to the product page. First bullet point will reach up to 20 feet for your flag. We'll stay lit for 12 hours overnight has. Uh, a solar panel attached with 20 feet of wire so you can leave it there while still having it. For, we just answered those questions on the page and we and sales blew up. So that's the other benefit that, you know, that 
that the phone number can bring you the same way your live chat tells you what people are actually looking for instead of what you hypothesize. And that, that if you act on that, it can, it can make a big difference. Definitely. And I think it's awesome that you said you didn't end up selling the product that you thought you were selling. Because I think there's this ongoing debate, right, about product versus marketing. Like, which one is more important? It's got to be one or the other. And to me, I kind of think you, think of you as a marketing guy after our conversation. But what is your take on that debate? So it's it's a funny thing, and, and we experience it every day, you know, in, in Carthook in the software product now. Uh, and, but there are a lot of analogies to the e-commerce world. Uh, it, it's like it's like product takes a guess, and then marketing goes out in front of it and tries to sell it, and then eventually marketing gives feedback, and then product catches up, and then will surpass marketing. And there's always this funny tension of who's further ahead in the company. Does the product have it more right, or is, does the marketing and sales have it more right? And it keeps trying to catch up and then surpassing one another. So that's like the internal tension that, we, that we're seeing at Cardhook, right? I had a guess that card abandonment was a painful product, excuse me, painful problem from my experience as an e-commerce merchant. So we solved it with what we thought was the right product. And then you start selling it and you get feedback saying, actually, you need to do all this other stuff and add to it. And then you get add to it and you bring it out to the market and it starts to sell and then it, it catches up again. So the e-commerce and the retail and physical product world is very similar. You take a guess, you put it out in the market, and then you get feedback. And if you don't act on that feedback, it's kind of pointless. It's very unlikely that your first guess will be on the money and will just take off. It's much more likely that you'll have it somewhat right and somewhat wrong, and then you keep iterating uh, based on that feedback that you get. And I think you know our selection of physical products was was exactly that. It was iteration based on customer feedback. And I think that goes for almost any company in, in the modern world. I see people launching what look like really small brands. They come out with just the perfect gym short. And then they get a bunch of feedback and then they start selling socks because that's what people want. And, and then you, you kind of move from there. So that, that's how I like to look at it as like a guess. And then it's like a race between product and marketing back and forth. No, totally. And I think having that really close connection with your customers is super important. We have that through live chat at our company. We have support people who are talking to our customers all the time to get that feedback. Um, but we definitely have still made some mistakes in terms of product development. We've made features where we're like, oh, this is definitely going to be a hit. And then nothing, like radio silence, nothing. And I'm wondering, have you ever had any of those moments where there was like one feature or one product you released and you thought it was going to be awesome and it just kind of like tanked or didn't do as well as you thought? There, there's always that danger and we, we try our best. And my, my co-founder, uh, Ben, it comes from like a product background. So he, he helps us avoid that. He always comes back with a challenge because I, I talk to customers and I, I have the mindset of like an e-commerce merchant. So I'm, I'm in those shoes. So I always come up with, wouldn't it be amazing if we could, if someone could just email us or forward us an email and that would unsubscribe the person from the abandoned card campaign. And he's like, yeah, that sounds cool. I'm not doing it until you get three people telling me that they really want it and are willing to pay more for it. And then of course, no one is, no one actually cares that much. Uh, so yeah, we've made a few uh, kind of feature mistakes of like, this is gonna be great and then no one even notices. Uh, but we try as much as possible to avoid it by, by getting kind of overwhelming validation that Yes, I want to be able to, you know, change 
you know, one particular thing. Yep. Yeah. yeah the, well, we, we like put it through a test and it's like, will more people sign up because of it? Will existing people stay longer because of it? And like those two need to be true before we move forward. It still can be hard though. I think when you have an emotional attachment to an idea to really put it through true testing, but it's really nice to have someone who's helping you out with that. We have a product manager, Lindsay, who you actually talked to. We were talking about this All earlier. Right. Uh, you did a usability test for us. And yeah. I think introducing usability tests, you can have an idea of what you think something should be like, but then when people really touch it and interact with it, they may not get it or it may not be quite right. So I think including more of that in a very kind of scientific way, almost getting customer feedback is huge. Yeah, I'll tell you, I like to do that in the form of sales. So, and it might just be just a, a, a product of constraints, right? We're a small company um, and so we don't have a lot of resources to do usability testing. So it ends up happening in sales conversations. So it's, I'm talking to someone and what they say back to me is what resonates. So it's like, oh, then you can do this and then you can do this and here's the activity page and here's how you can view every session. And they're like, yeah, but what about X? And, and that's, that, that's our feedback. So I, I try to do that in the middle of a sales conversation and then kind of write down the, the, the objections because the objections are all, they're, they're, they're potential features. I could just say, yes, we can do that for you, no problem, but I, you can't do that for every single one. So seeing someone watch me go through the demo and then asking questions along the way, that, that's kind of our you know, scrappy version of it. It has the same type of function. It's good to know a lot of people are asking for this. Some people aren't asking for this. What should we build? What should we not? All of that is fantastic. So now that you do have a software product, Carthook, can you tell me a little bit about what you learned in e-commerce, which obviously is a lot. They're similar sort of environments. You're serving e-commerce customers now. But what have you learned in e-commerce that you've been able to take to software that maybe is surprising for you? So they're, they're similar in a lot of ways. And they're similar in, in the math. And I, I look at it, I mean, contact content marketing has obscured the math recently because it's less straightforward. It's less, this is how much we spent on advertising. This is how many visitors we got, how many conversions, how much revenue. I still try to look at it the same way because content marketing isn't free, right? You have to pay writers. You have to spend time yourself, whatever it is. So I, I look at it as a math thing. And when I was in the e-commerce world, we used to look at everything mathematically. We used to say, okay, right now when we spend $100, we get $100 back in revenue. That's not good because we have, you know, call it 30% margin, so we're losing money right now. So we make tweaks, we make changes, and we negotiate with our suppliers, whatever. Now we're spending $100 in advertising, we're doing better, we're getting $200. And that math flows through your whole company. It tells you how much money you can spend in advertising, it tells you how much, uh, more improvement you need in optimization in order to become profitable, all this stuff. So in the e-commerce world, we, we kept tweaking and got it to a point where we would spend $100 in advertising and make $500 in revenue. And we said, all right, now we got, now, now we got it. Right, now we got it. We got five to one. Now let's turn on the gas. So that's when we hired an AdWords expert and went from like, $2,000 a month to four and then 10 and then 20 and 30 and then $50,000 a month really quickly because once you have that dialed in, then you can freely spend money. So it's, it's, the, same, it's the same kind of thing. The, the reason I started Carthook is because as an e-commerce merchant, that, those numbers all depend on your conversion rate. 
So the more you can convert, the better you can do. If your shopping cart page goes up in conversion a touch and your checkout page goes up a little touch more, it has a huge impact on all those numbers. So we worked our butt off in optimizing and optimizing and optimizing until we got it to that point. And we did a good job on that. We, we, I mean, we really worked hard at it and it finally got to a good place. The issue is in e-commerce, no matter what you do, you still have abandonment. It's just part of the nature of shopping online. So we found a tool that helped us with cart abandonment and, and it worked. And the reason it worked is because that math, if that math stays consistent and you're doing okay, then any additional increase is just gravy. So along the way from optimizing the product page, the shopping cart page, the about us page, the checkout, everything, we added cart abandonment and it just went one more tick up. And that was it had such a big impact on us because you're working your butt off. Anything that goes directly to the bottom line is, is very, very helpful. So that's why after selling the e-commerce business, I identified that was like my favorite area. Checkout optimization and whatever you can help people maximize the amount of money that they're getting as a return for the amount of money they're spending on advertising, that's kind of what led me uh, into identifying cart abandonment as the thing I wanted to tackle with the software. So that, that's how I got there. And now it's, it's, kind of, it's no different. I'm advertising. I have content. It's the same thing. People... Now it's just free trials. So someone starting a free trial is kind of like almost buying, buying a product and then the ability to maximize the number of free trials that convert to paying customer is the same thing as maximizing the amount of conversions I get from spending $100. So it's, it feels very, very similar and I love being able to help people improve that formula for themselves on their e-commerce business because I, I used to be in those shoes and, and I, I, know, I know that it can, it can have a big impact. Definitely. And so I want to touch on two things that you just said you optimized. One of them is Google AdWords. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the other one you were talking about content marketing. And I think content marketing is like, you said you've kind of figured it out a way to still quantify it. But I think for the rest of us, that's a little bit of a mystery because it is very indirect. What have yeah. you done to really see that? Uh, I mean, I'm no further along on it than, than most people, right? It's not like a, a machine that's all mm -hmm. dialed in. Uh, but I try to view it as part of the, I don't, look at advertising expense and content expense as these two separate things in that calculation that I talked about. Mm. I, I lump them together. I say, okay. how much money am I spending on getting people to the site? It's not just the advertising and, and the retargeting. It's also content and it's also email marketing software. And when I'm trying to figure out how much money am I spending to get this revenue, I lump that in the, the same way. And I think the, the tricky part is, is in valuing your own time and your own contribution. Because it's easy if you pay a writer 500 bucks to write a blog post, you know it's 500 bucks. But if you spent 12 hours on blog posts this month, that's kind of up in the air. That's, that's more difficult to, to quantify. Yeah, definitely. You're totally right. So ads seem like a big part of your strategy still. Google AdWords. What have you done to optimize in the past? I, I think there's a departure between the e-commerce the e and retail and selling physical products uh, view on AdWords as opposed to software. Uh, at least if it feels different at this point. With software, you're really kind of selling one thing. Whereas in a retail store, you have every category and every individual product is like its own standalone business. Like we probably had 150 products on this one site, the solar site that was our most successful. And 
three products made 90% of our revenue. So it took experimentation. And what it, what it really took, what we did is we, we did AdWords ourselves knowing, okay, let's just get started and see what we can learn. And then as soon as it's, things started working at all, we hired an expert because it's, it's a very complicated product, AdWords, and there's a right way and a, and a wrong way to do it. And it's, it's really hard to know what the right way is if you're not an expert. Yeah, so that's, that's what we did. I, I think the lesson learned out of that uh, for people to take and, and what I took out of it was that you can't expect to be profitable right away. You have to expect that at first, if you're anywhere near profitability, you're actually in great shape because that's your floor. That's where you're starting and then you optimize from there, whether it's keywords, negative keywords, ad groups, timing, geography, all these factors that go in will improve your results. So I think that's an important view because some people try AdWords, they spend a thousand bucks, they don't make money and they say, I guess advertising doesn't work for me. And that, that I think is a dangerous thing because if you, if you can make paid advertising work, it's just an efficient way to grow. So I think that, that was my big lesson out of it. It was kind of willingness to spend and lose money as long as you feel like you're somewhat on the right track, because then you can, you can improve things from there. Gotcha. Definitely. AdWords, same type of thing. We tried it out for a little while. And then as soon as it started working a little bit, hired an expert. But for e-commerce, it is so much more of a struggle because it seems like first you have to hone in on those three products that are going to be 90% of the revenue rather than advertising for all of them. And that's a whole level of experimentation in and of itself. Yes. And then the other thing that comes to mind is the alignment from ad copy to the landing page to the checkout experience, it has to all line up. So that's kind of, that's what it felt like when things started working. It felt like everything was in line. Like we were talking about the solar flag light and, and like one of the benefits in the ad itself. And then you would get to the product page directly from there. And the, the, the bullet points, the first thing that someone read addressed exactly what people were looking for. And then the checkout experience was the way people expected. And we optimized the checkout page to remove the navigation and add the trust symbols and the credit card logos. And it all started to line up. And that's, that's when things kind of felt like magic. Where it was like, whatever amount of money we can possibly spend, let's spend because it keeps working the same, the same way. So that's, that, that's a big kind of uh, theory or whatever you want to call it, that alignment of ad to product, to price, to, to features, to benefits, all that together. Definitely. And I think that's especially true in e-commerce, but we're talking about, we were talking a little bit about the difference between e-commerce and software. And I feel like the difference that software adds is that, so now they've signed up for a free trial, which is sort of our main conversion point. And then you sort of have this whole nurture thing, which didn't really exist before. How have you mastered that? Uh, I just put myself in the shoes of an e-commerce merchant and I, we've done the same thing that we would want. So when I first started, it was just everything was manual and nothing was automated. So when someone signed up, I would respond right away. And I'd say, hey, thank you so much for signing up. Here's my contact info. Here's a link to my calendar. Here's my phone number. Call me. Kind of the same principle as as the e-commerce business. And anyone who would get on the phone with me, I got on the phone with because I knew I would learn things. And then once you start a trial, you right, you want to encourage someone to launch their campaign and then once your campaign is, is launched, we don't just wait for 30 days to go by and say, hey, do you want to become a customer? That's not how I would want to be treated. So we send them updates. We say, after one week of using Cardhook, you have 
42 abandoned carts, you've recovered six of them for a total of $721 in recovered revenue. Nice work. So awesome. Here's a link. Here's a link to an interview I did recently about optimizing your checkout page. Maybe you'll find it valuable. And then week two, same thing. After two weeks, after three weeks. So then by the fourth week when someone got the email, it wasn't like this big surprise, hey, do you want to sign up as a customer? It was, you've done great over these four weeks. Here are your total numbers. When do you want to set up a time to talk about becoming a customer and seeing what, what we can do for you? So it was kind of the same experience that I, I would want as, as a merchant. Definitely. Well, and clearly you've baked in proving the value of your product the whole time where it's not really sort of this intangible, like, oh, here's what you'll get. It's like, here are the numbers. There you go. I think that's the single biggest thing that attracted me to this product category. So I remember doing, doing our numbers at the end of each month as an e-commerce merchant and looking at all of our expenses. And that line item of a cart abandonment software, I would look at and say, so we're paying these guys 100 bucks a month and they just made us $4,000. I'm never going to cancel them. So that was such an easy decision and everything else is like our help desk software. Yeah, I guess we need that. Our this other type of software. Yeah, I guess we need that. And those are less straightforward. So when I wanted to, you know, work on a, a software product, I just li I like that element to it about how quantifiable it is. And I and that's that's the business I want to be in. I want to make people money and then not have it be an argument. Not like we are so amazing, trust us. Like, no, no, no. If you cancel Cardhook, you're not going to have this 5000 bucks next month that we helped recovery for you this month, which is, I think, a healthy relationship on, on all sides. Right? We get pressure to perform for people, and they demand that we make them money in exchange for, for staying as a customer. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I realized we didn't wrap up. So uh, before you founded Cardhook, yes. you – grew this company, your e-commerce business, into a huge success. Can you tell us about what that looked like for you? So after you optimized all the stuff, you optimized the ads, you optimized the website, what became of that? It was kind of a, it was a crazy journey. Uh, we took over the business from my brother who, who joined us like two months later. Um, the first month, I think we made 400 bucks in revenue. And then we worked on it. And the next month we made like 1200 And then we started to figure things out. The next month we made closer to 2500 And then it just started to double Right around the $5,000 a month mark, that's when we hired the AdWords expert and poured on the gas. And we went from five to 10, 20, 30, and got up to about $75,000 a month, like within six months. So it was kind of a crazy ride going from totally clueless and hiring people for an hour just to teach us what to do. And then the thing worked. Um, and then 12, after 12 months, we had done right around 500,000 in revenue. And then, and then sold the business. Yep. So it was like, – look, it wasn't life-changing. I didn't go sit on the beach for a few years. Uh, but it was career-changing. In going from starting something to growing it to selling it was, was an amazing experience, including like the, the legal uh, process of selling a business was very educational, let's call it. <laughs> I can um, believe that. <laughs> yes. So it was, it, was, it was great. It was a great experience. Um, I will say, though, I think the, the lesson to come out of that, that's a cool story to, to, to tell, but whatever. If you're listening, you don't really care that much about my story. The, I think the way it can help you is the reason that we sold the business was not because someone was offering us a billion dollars. I wish I could say that. I can't say that. The reason we sold the business is because it became clear to us that over the next few years, selling products that were available elsewhere was not a healthy game to be in. And I think that's the big lesson for e-commerce merchants today. The cart hook customers that we have that sell other people's products, they might be able to grow faster, 
because it's, you know, you have recognition. You can get this a few places. Some people get it from you. But their long-term prospects are not as good as the people who are doing the hard work of building their own brand and don't have the recognition at first. But once you do have the recognition, you're the only game in town for your products. And that is a much healthier business to be in. One of the good lessons about growing so fast as well is you really learn the power of levers, which is when you optimize something so well, you really can, the numbers tell you, you can pour money into that funnel and it's going to work. AdWords seems kind of like the number one thing that did that for you. Were there any other secondary one that kind of was also like that where you optimized it and it just started to flow? For us, it was AdWords. These, these days, I do not believe it's AdWords. These days, from what I'm seeing and talking to people and, and feeling, it's, it's email. So what, what's, what I see happening is the big, sophisticated retailers who have resources and know what they're doing, they don't care to make money on the first purchase. And that is a very strange thing. If you're in business and you're expecting to make a profit on someone's first purchase, people are kind of tearing their hair out. They're saying... I can't make money anymore. I, why are these other people driving ad costs so high that you can't make money? And the reason is because they are—they don't care about the first purchase. They want to extend the lifetime value over the next year. And the way to do that is with email. So if you are competing against other retailers that have that mindset, you, you kind of need to adapt or, or die because you're not going to make as much money on the first purchase, what you need to do is build up a customer list. That's what the first purchase does. And then over the next year, use email marketing and social to get them to buy again. And when they buy again, you don't spend, the, you don't spend that ad spend to get them there. That's when you start to make your profit. So that's, that's the shift that I've seen. And AdWords getting more expensive and people shifting the lifetime value view uh, into the, the following 12 months after the initial purchase. And that's why you'll see some really good companies. That's what they work on. Totally. And I think it's kind of interesting. Basically, what you're saying is that customer loyalty is the value to a company. But a lot of times people talk about that no one's loyal to brands anymore. You hear that all the time. But for your previous business, family values were kind of what you, what you sold people on. Is there anything that you sell people on now that helps keep them loyal? Or is it all just the numbers like, here's what you're making? It's, you know, a lot of it is what we're talking about right now. What we're talking about right now, I talk about endlessly with any customer, prospect, anyone that contacts me. And when you, when you get that, right, I talk to a lot of e-commerce merchants and I, I get a sense of this stuff and I, I share my expertise and I talk about whatever I possibly can and people get a lot of value out of that. Uh, so there's like this brand affinity that people want to be associated and they want to be closer and, and on top of that, we have a good product that's almost like it's almost, it's not the afterthought, but you have to have a good product. If you're selling something as a retailer, if you're providing software, you better have a good product or you have no chance. So then what we try to do is add value in these types of conversations and just treat people the way we would want. So I don't let things, you know, kind of linger and I don't blow people off. And I don't care if you're a small customer or a big customer, we treat you the same way. We have these systems in place to make sure things don't fall through the cracks and it's kind of the same thing as we did as an e-commerce merchant, you know, and, and people took to it. And now it's not like a family thing, but it still feels very much, uh, very much the same. And that's something that you can help, right? You can't do that much with competition and these bigger trends, but you can definitely affect how you treat people. And that, that's like the easiest win possible.
Totally. It's fundamentals of business. I mean, as much as there are these complicated tools, I mean, it's complicated tools to do a simple thing. And now it's just to break through the noise and sort of add that value and be authentic to them. To summarize here, I want to hear top three tips for e-commerce businesses. If they were to make three optimizations to their website or sales funnel, what should those be? Okay. First thing I notice so, so often is if you go to your shopping cart page and I call it the 10 foot test. I don't know if I made that up or I heard it somewhere else or whatever it is. I'll you take made the credit. it up. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, I actually have a blog post called the 10 foot test. If you're looking, if you put an item into your shopping cart page, you walk away 10 feet, 10 feet and you look back at your screen. If you can't tell in an instant where the person should click to get to the checkout page, you have a problem. And a lot of people have it, they think it's design Mm-hmm. to have the proceed to checkout button be the exact same color as the update cart or delete this item. And the shopping cart page is something you want people to breeze right through to get to the checkout page because that page does a lot better job of capturing people's credit cards than the shopping yeah. cart page. So that's the first easy tip. Look at your shopping cart page. If it isn't dumb, dead, simple, where you should click to get to the proceed to checkout button, uh, to that checkout page, then change it, make it bigger, make it a different color, de-emphasize everything else, get rid of your navigation, but make that button much more prominent. I think that's the first easy win. If you increase the conversion rate of that page a touch, you'll make more money. The, the next tip is buy something from your store. Buy something from your store every week. We like forget to do this. I, I forget to do it sometimes too, but I, I try to sign up for my software every week. And inevitably, you find little things that, like, oh, why, why is the receipt page like doesn't look like the rest of the site? Mm-hmm. Why, why is it so boring right after I buy? Isn't that the time when I'm most excited? I should put a message right after someone buys to like pump them up and get them excited. So go through your whole page, add an item, and identify every little weird question mark that comes up in your mind and realize that every one of those is a little friction point that if you reduce the friction on, you'd get more sales. So I think that's a good tip. All right, so the the third point is about the checkout page. And people get creative on the checkout page and you should get creative on every other page of your site and make it mobile friendly and beautiful and all that. But when it comes to the checkout page, you wanna be super obvious and directly as expected. When people are thinking about their money, that's not where you wanna introduce surprises. You wanna go according to expectations. So your checkout page should go First name, last name, address, address two, city, state, zip, credit card number, expiration date, you know, CVV code, submit, not submit. Do not use submit <laughs> to get my good stuff, something that, that's positive. Uh, but that page, don't make people create an account. Again, this is the same kind of thing. Go through your site and buy something. And that checkout page, that's the single biggest point of leverage and conversion. So set that directly to expectations. Don't get weird on that. Don't put things out of order. Do it exactly as you would expect. Once again, that was entrepreneur Jordan Gall, co-founder of Carthook, a tool for e-commerce businesses that automatically turns abandoned carts into paying customers. So if you'd like to hear more marketing insights from Jordan, visit his website, carthook.com, or listen to his podcast, Bootstrapped Web. You can also find Jordan on Twitter at Jordan Gall. That's J-O-R-D-A-N-G-A-L. As always, we'd love it if you'd tweet us at Arielle Hurst or at Pure Chat. 
and check out blog.purechat.com for more actionable small business advice. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to having you tune in for our next small biz chat.